Good morning. It's great to see each of you here this morning. Trust you've had a great week. And um, good to see Dorcas and Mark here this morning. They've been out for about two months, hasn't it? And uh, we're glad that Dorcas is back on her feet and here this morning. And we thank God for answering prayer. And um, as I was sitting there in service this morning and some of the things that have been going on, I just thank God for this church, for your generosity in so many ways. Um, you know, Stephen was talking to the blankets out there. There's stuff out there for the food bank. And there's uh, uh, this Swaziland Orphan Fund and, and uh, the Building Fund and all of those things that we, we put before you, but I don't think we really harp on it and, and, and say, you know, get out there and, you know, we, if you're not doing it, we're getting after you. But you're just generous in giving. And I think God blesses that, not just as a body, but in our individual lives. And I just thank God to, to be able to live life, to serve God with people that have big hearts and are generous uh, in, in so many ways. And so... I just pray God will continue to bless and work in your lives. This past week, Stephen and I were gone most of the week to Michigan, and um, we were up there for a church planters summit, and there were people from all over North America, from Canada to California and Mississippi to wherever, to here, and um, just people that are in various, in the Wesleyan church that are in various aspects of church planning. Some like us, helping to plant churches. Some were church planters there that were getting ready to plant a church themselves. And um, it was just a great week of, of sitting beside others that have a passion to reach the lost. And also we were able to go into a number of plant churches in the greater uh, Grand Rapids area that um, were church plants or had been a church plant not long ago. They were growing and things that were God were doing or churches that were planting churches. And it was just neat to see all the, the various ways that people imagine a church building to look like and to see what was happening. Some of them were uh, extreme. <laughs> we went to a, a hip-hop church where all the music was hip-hop. And, you know, it was kind of like, okay... But then uh, you see these young people um, that had come off the street, all kind of uh, addictions and all kind of things they've been into, and they were there worshiping the Lord and bringing their families. And uh, you go out into the other parts of the church, and there's child care and all the other things that happen with church. We were at one church that I, I especially think of, and it was a 165-year-old congregation. They had been there in that town for 165 years. And God had finally laid on their heart, given vision, and they moved out of their old building and bought a school and have been reconditioning that into a church. Beautiful, beautiful things they have done in that building. But we were taking a tour of it, and our, our tour guide, we were interacting with them, and someone asked them, well, you know, this has been an old church, so there's probably a lot of older people in this church. Yeah, there were a lot of older people. And um, said, how did that work in that transitioning from the old to new? And I mean, they were, they, they just were reaching out in all kind of ways. And the church had grown to about a thousand people. And um, he said, well, I'll tell you. He said, there was a, 
uh, an older couple in our church, and they had their own kind of parking spot close to the door, and they didn't get around real well. But he said one Sunday morning, they were a little late, and they got there, and someone was in their place. They had to go all the way to the other side of the parking lot, way far away. And so they were coming in late, and they came, and they sat in their spot right up front by the, where the preacher sat. And uh, when, when they got up there, they were just out of breath, and they sat down, and the preacher said, what, you know, what's going on? And I said, oh, got here a little late, and someone was in our spot, and we had to walk all the way from over there. And he said, oh, my goodness, that's awful. And she goes, no, that was great. She said, there's so many people here. We had to park all the way on the other side. And you know, so many times we get into, this is ours, this is mine, this is how it is, and, and we like our comfort. But if we're going to reach the world, if we're going to reach the loss, if we're going to reach new people, things change from time to time. Someone might even sit in your seat. You never know. Okay? And uh, they may park in your parking spot. They may want to do what you're doing in ministry. I don't know. But oh, let's have a heart big enough that we can reach out to whoever comes in and to put our arms around them and love them, encourage them, and win them to Jesus. And sometimes, you know, you might have to move up. Look at these seats right here. No one wants to sit in. And um, uh, you might have to sit up there. All right. This morning we are going to share the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service. And... and um, this morning we're going to talk about why we share communion. There's a story told of an old church that had an unusual ritual every Sunday morning. They sang the doxology, and that, that wasn't unusual that maybe a church would sing the doxology every, every week. But whenever they sang the doxology, everybody would stand, and everybody would turn and face this wall, and they would sing the doxology. And that's what they did every Sunday morning. And so they had a new guy come to church, and he, you know, came, and they all stood, and they all turned, and he's like, okay, what's going on? So he started asking some people, why do we stand and turn and face that wall when we sing the doxology? He said, well, I don't really know. That's just what we do. And so he kept asking around, and he finally found an old guy that had been in the church for many, many years, and he asked him, why, have we, why do we do this? And the guy says, well... You know, he said, back in the day, we didn't have hymnals. And we sang the doxology every, every week, and so they painted the words of the doxology on the wall. And over the years, it faded and got less and less, and I guess we just painted over it. And we probably painted it several times since then. But everybody still stands and turns and faces the wall and sings the doxology. That's just what we do. You know, we do a lot of things in life and seldom stop to ask why. We develop habits. We develop traditions in a church or in our own families. And if we're not careful, we can forget why we do certain things. We can lose the significance even of such things as partaking of the Lord's Supper. We live in a fast, technologically uh, advanced society where we're always looking to tomorrow and we rush through our day and fail to look back for the reasons why. We can just go through the motions to go on to something else. 
And we don't even stop and think about the meaning behind the things that are even a part of our worship. Just always been done that way. That's just what we do. And so I ask you this morning, why do we celebrate communion? Why do we take a little itty bitty piece of, of bread product and, uh, and a little bit of juice and, and take that and go on? Why do, we, why, why do we take the time to do that? Let's look at a, a few reasons why before we partake of this symbolic meal together. The first reason why we partake of the Lord's Supper and share in this is to remember We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul is describing this matter of why we partake of the Lord's Supper. And he said, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul is describing that last supper that Jesus celebrated uh, with his disciples. Uh, And that last supper was not just a meal that they decided to have, but it was on the night of the Passover. And so Jesus was interpreting the Passover for his disciples. See, when the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, uh, they had been down in Egypt, they had become slaves to the Egyptians, and they had grown to be a mighty nation, but they were still slaves in Egypt. And God sent Moses to lead them out of the land of Egypt. And God commanded them on that night that they were uh, getting ready to leave, that they were to each family get a lamb, kill that lamb, And that that lamb became the sin bearer for that family. And that when the angel of death was going to go through the land of Egypt, if he found that that family had taken the blood of that lamb and put it on the post of the door and on the lintel of the door, that the angel of death would pass over that family. And each year after that, to this very day, the Jewish people celebrate pass over, remembering God's deliverance uh, where he took the slaved, enslaved children of Israel out and back to the promised land. And so Jesus was celebrating Passover with his disciples, uh, and in doing so, he was now connecting it to a whole new level of meaning uh, for them, because Jesus was instituting something new here. He used the bread and the broken body uh, or the cup, the blood, that, that, that was a part of their remembrance. Uh, and he talked to them about remembering something that hadn't happened yet that was about to happen. Because he said, after this, I want you to remember what you do here tonight because it's really, it's really talking uh, about me. And so when he broke the bread and he held up the cup, he said, this is referring to my body and my blood that is going to be shed and there is a new covenant that is happening between God and his people. Paul in writing about this in a, a little earlier in the book, he said, Christ, our Passover lamb, 
has been sacrificed for us. And so this Lord's Supper quickly became a a part of Christian worship. From the earliest days of Christianity, Christians have been gathering together to remember what it was that Jesus did for us. That he died on the cross because I was a sinner and I needed saved and he took my place. His body was broken, his blood was poured out and God accepted that as payment for my sins. During the war in Vietnam, there was a a young West Point graduate that was sent over to Vietnam to lead a a young group of of recruits, to lead them into battle. And he did his job well. He loved his men. He did everything he could to protect them, to keep them safe, to bring them back home after each uh, uh, excursion. And, And one night, they came under heavy attack, And they were retreating back to a safe place uh, when one of his guys were shot and and they weren't able to get him as they were retreating. And they were in their trenches in the places where they were hiding and they could hear him screaming and and moaning as he was in pain from his wounds. Uh, And they knew that any attempt to go out there to save him would probably put whoever went in jeopardy and they may not even be able to save him and they probably would be killed too. But eventually the young lieutenant that was leading them couldn't take it anymore and he crawled out of his hiding place towards the dying man. And he got him just about to safety and he was shot and he was killed there and the, the young man he went to rescue was able to make it into that safe place. After the rescued man had served his time, been sent back uh, home, the lieutenant's parents heard that he was in the vicinity and they wanted to meet him. They wanted to meet this young man whose life had been spared at such great cost to them. Their son had given his life for them. And so they invited him to dinner. And when their honored guest has arrived, he had been drinking. And he was rowdy, and he was really obnoxious. He was telling off-colored jokes to this mom and dad of the the guy that had saved him and and laughing at things he probably shouldn't have been laughing at. Uh, No gratitude seemed to have been shown to the parents of the the fellow that saved his life. Uh, Their guests finally left. And as the door closed behind him as he walked away, the mother collapsed in tears and she cried out to think that our precious son had to die for somebody like that. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. He died for someone like that. Someone, the Bible says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. When I could care less what he thought about me, he died for me. He took my place of God's judgment and wrath that could be poured out upon me. And he said, I will take that punishment so that he has a chance to know you, Father. And so he died for me. And so as we come this morning and we remember at communion, we are remembering that Christ, while we were yet sinners, died for me. He took my place. His blood. It cost him his blood that I could be saved.
So we share in communion to remember. Secondly, we share in communion to rejoice. Paul goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're not just looking back at what Jesus did, but we're pointing forward also where we, when we share communion, uh, Paul says, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. We are are shouting it to the rooftop that Jesus died for us, and as long as we are here waiting for him, that's what we are doing, rejoicing, praising him, proclaiming that Jesus Christ took my place, uh, and that we have victory that we have victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave, as the word, said, the word says. Uh, Max Lucado, in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells the story of a missionary in Brazil that, that had found a tribe uh, back in the jungle uh, across the river. And um, he had found these people that, that, that lived very, very primitive lives. A lot of superstition. And when he met them and found them, they had been overrun by a very contagious disease that was destroying their village. Many of them were dying, and they were continuing to die. And he knew that they had to get help. They, had, they needed help so desperately. Across the river from them and down a ways uh, was a hospital. And if they would just cross the river and go, they could get help. But In their superstition, they believed that there were evil spirits that lived in this river, and if they would get in that river, the evil spirits would kill them. And so they had never crossed the river. And so he tells them, you need to get across, and there's nothing will happen to you. And he says, I've gone across it many times. No, they wouldn't wouldn't accept it. He went down to the river and scooped up some water and, and, and nothing happened to him. And he said, see there? No, they wouldn't believe it. He finally got down in the water, splashed it all over him on his face, and, and still they wouldn't. They just would not, could not get over the fact and the fear. And so finally he dove into the water, swam underwater as long as he could, and, and, and came up almost to the other side. Uh, and as he came up on the other side, uh, he just shot his hands in the air in triumph and said, See, I did it. it there, nothing will happen to you. And finally, it got through to them, and they believed uh, that, that somehow they could do it too. And they went across the river and got help. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He told the people of his day that they need not fear the river of death, but they wouldn't believe him. In fact, he touched a dead boy and raised him back to life, and they still didn't believe him. He took a little girl that was dead and and touched her and whispered life into her, and she came back to life, and still they did not believe. In fact, he let a friend of his die who was buried for four days And he came then and raised him from the dead. And they still didn't believe they crucified him. Finally, he entered the river of death himself and died and was buried and rose again before the people understood and believed and accepted he is the Messiah and began to follow him. Uh, We are here to rejoice at the fact that Jesus died for us, that he rose for us, and we make that proclamation until he returns. Uh, That's what happened right down here last Sunday when Ginger and Andrew prayed. 
after the first service and accepted Jesus Christ into their life. Uh, and we celebrated with them and had the privilege of serving them communion this morning and the tears of joy running down their faces. So we remember and we rejoice. And next, we have an opportunity to repent. Paul goes on to say, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. Sharing communion provides an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. And if the Holy Spirit shines his piercing light on anything in our lives that is unworthy of the blood and body of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to repent and to experience his forgiveness and his cleansing so that we might celebrate in communion with God. Jesus died to save us from our sins so that we would be changed. He, he wants us to hate the sin, to forsake the sin, and anything sinful that we've allowed into our lives. Don't come to the bread and the cup this morning with unconfessed sin in your life. Even right now, or as we pray, that you will confess that to God and accept and receive His grace and His forgiveness and serve Him with a new commitment. Finally, communion is a time to be reconciled. Not only to God, but to each other. Paul goes on to say, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Commentator William Barclay believes that at least part of what Paul is saying there is not just talking about Jesus' broken body, but Paul talks in other places about you are the body. The church is the body of Jesus. He is the head. We are the body. And he believes that Paul was maybe referencing that too, that the body of the Lord, followers of Jesus Christ, who are part of that body, that we are to be one. We are to, to recognize, to, to have fellowship with, to, to, to be in right relationship with the body of Christ. And if I have resentment or anger or, or unforgiveness to anyone in the body of Christ, uh, who am I to then stand before God and say, yeah, they need, to, they need to do this or they need to fix this up with me and, you know, we're not forgiving, we're not in relationship. At God's table, we all stand the same needing God's forgiveness. Communion is just as much for me as pastor as it is for you in saying, that's what I need. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. How can I not forgive anyone that has anything against me? It's related that once the Duke of Wellington was at his church and they were receiving communion, and as they received communion, there were two aisles, and the Duke of Wellington came down this aisle and knelt at the altar. 
And at the same time, there was an old poor man that came down this way. And as it would be, they ended up kneeling side by side. And some of the elders in the church got all freaked out that here was this old, dirty, poor man up there with the Duke of Wellington. And someone got up and came to him and tapped him on the shoulder or grabbed him by the shoulder and began to whisper in his ear. He said, listen, you're right there by the Duke of Wellington. Move over or better yet, get up and stand aside until the Duke of Wellington has received uh, the communion. The Duke of Wellington heard or saw, sensed what was going on in the whisper and the, and the grabbing of this man's shoulder. And as the man was getting ready to stand up and move, the Duke of Wellington just reached over and grabbed his arm and held him in place. And he said, do not move. We are equal here. We are in God's presence and we are equal. Every one of us were born sinners that we're lost and going to hell, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ that we have accepted into our hearts and lives to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. James chapter 5 encourages us that we should confess our sins to each other, pray for each other, so that we can live together whole and healed. What about your relationships with each other? Is there anyone that you need to ask to forgive you? This is the time to get that out to get that out of our system so that we can have communion and fellowship with God. The unforgiving spirit just saps uh, all the energy that causes Christians to grow and to be effective. If I have unforgiveness, it's just like sucking it out of us. Therefore, use this time. Use this time as we take the cup and the bread to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to each other if we need to. It's a simple ceremony, one that has been done by the body of Christ for ages, through the centuries. And we share it, whether we're black or white, Asian or Latino, male or female, old or young, single or married, or any other difference that you can think that separates us. Here we are equal. We are one. And we do it to remember, to remember what Jesus Christ did for us, what he did for me, and to thank him for it, to rejoice and to praise him that I would leave here in a spirit of thanksgiving and praise that this week my heart's going to be bubbling over that Jesus, Jesus died for me. And if I need to, I will bow my heart and head this morning and ask God to forgive me if there's sin in my life that needs to be forgiven. And maybe even on the way up here, I would need to go and say I'm sorry to someone. If that's what we need to do, do it. That we would be reconciled one with the other. And so I encourage you to come. Come to the Lord's table. Don't just get a wafer and a little thing of juice and do it and go on and sit down and forget about it before you get home. But let's be intentional. Let's not just look at the blank wall and do our thing and leave. But let us come into his presence remembering his great grace and mercy, rejoicing 
because we are in fellowship with the King of all kings, the Lord of lords, because Jesus died for us. We are going to ask you to participate. If you are a Christian that wants to receive the Lord's Supper, we offer open communion, so it's between you and God to determine your relationship. What we are going to do is I think we'll start over here and um, we'll kind of go a section at a time so you won't have to be standing the whole time. We do ask you to be very reverent. Be in prayer. There'll be some music playing. Just search your heart. Thank him for what he's done. Be in communion with him. We'll ask you to come down this aisle. Come across. There are some garbage cans here and back there to put your disposable cups in, if you would. And then return to your seat and let's just be reverent as we thank God, remember, rejoice, repent, and reconcile if we need to. I'm going to ask Pastor Stephen to come and he's going to lead us in prayer. And um, then we'll ask this section to stand, those of you that would like to come and to receive. Let's pray. Oh Lord. May we experience that holy awe that comes in moments like this when we choose to take the time necessary to acknowledge what you are at work in doing. We celebrate your presence here this morning and we ask that you would meet with us in this sacrament of communion, that grace would be bestowed, that hearts would be turned towards you. Renew us, we pray. In Jesus' name.